Hi there and welcome to the show. My name is Tim and my guest today is Andrew Maunder. He is a product and experience designer based in Berlin. Over the past decade or so, he's been using a variety of human-centric design approaches to craft digital experiences that delight customers and solve business problems. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hi, Tim. How are you doing today in Berlin? Doing well, thanks. Um, it's a home office day, so both myself, my wife, and my dog are all at home. So besides the overcast weather and the uh, sort of current COVID-19 things going on uh, with corona, yeah, otherwise all it's kind of good. It's kind of fun being at home. Um, not having to worry with running around on public transport and things like that. So given the situation, I think all things are pretty okay with us, pretty good. Great to hear it. Now, Andrew, you did a PhD in human-computer interaction, and that sparked your passion for designing mobile applications and services. Can you tell us about your studies and how you moved into the field that you're working in now? Yeah, for sure. I started, I guess, as a as a teenager, becoming interested in computers. We had a, a computer at home. Of course, back then it was mostly for playing computer games. But in sort of the mid '90s, my dad sort of upgraded our computer with a sound card and CD-ROM and made it this more multimedia enhanced sort of computing experience. And that sort of really got me interested in essentially the sort of extended features of using a computer and what kind of immersive experience it could create. Around about the same time, one of our neighbors in the neighborhood that we lived in started running an internet service provider from his house, which completely blew our minds. And he offered us a connection to his network at you know just a, a couple of bucks a month. And so we had access to broadband internet in the mid-90s in South Africa, which was quite a, quite a thing. And I think that combination of sound, digital media, CD-ROMs at the time, and the internet really got my mind hooked onto what kind of interactive experiences you could create on computers. And it sort of got my attention. And then when I started university, I was really on a mission to try and find a way to get into the sort of interactive multimedia field. But because I went to university and did a Bachelor of Science, it wasn't a direct road there, but uh, I was interested in design. And so what I did was I tried to figure out a road to get to the interactive multimedia space. And essentially what I did was I studied scientific computing. So I majored in physiology with this interest in the human body, but then also in sort of emerging field called ergonomics, which is essentially the study of how the human body relates to a working environment. And I had applied to do my honors in ergonomics at another university called Rhodes. I got accepted for that. And as I, essentially, as I was about to leave for that, one of my professors said to me, hey, you know, that's ergonomics in South Africa at the time wasn't a huge field. And he said, well, why don't you rather stay in Cape Town, work with me, and we can look at an emerging field which was called everyday usability and essentially human-computer interaction, which was his field of study. And he said, that's kind of the digital equivalent of 
ergonomics. And I was like, well, okay, that sounds pretty interesting. And at that time, more and more people in South Africa were buying cell phones and starting to use cell phones as part of their daily lives. And that was my professor, that was his area of study was sort of human computer interaction, but with mobile devices. That became my main topic during my honors degree. And then when I started my master's, I really focused on that. And then my master's sort of morphed into my PhD and I spent four years looking at the design of mobile services and particularly how designers apply different design processes to achieve that and to make design services that are locally relevant and appropriate. And that was kind of, yeah, that's how I got into the field. Wonderful. So over the last decade or so, you've certainly been involved with a number of different projects that I imagine range from working in rural areas of South Africa to academic institutions and corporate companies in Germany, for example. Would you like to talk about your journey working in this area over the last decade? Yeah. Like you said, I've been fortunate enough to work on quite a variety of projects over the years, ranging from designing multimedia services in rural areas where sort of connectivity and bandwidth availability is quite limited to working for banks and startups and a whole variety of different companies. I've always tried to focus on mobile service design. And really the first, probably the first two or three companies I worked for, that was their major, major focus. So in the late 2000s, I worked for a company called Mixit, who created a, a mobile application for feature phones at the time. And their main application was an instant messenger. So that was really a good look into the early days of technology impacting society in South Africa. And that was really a privilege because we had 5 million people logging in every day. And as a young designer coming into the industry, you know, being able to design changes that 5 million people will see the next day when they log in is quite a responsibility. So that kept me on my toes. And that was my first sort of foray into designing products at scale. Nowadays, designing internet services for millions of people seems like the norm. But back then, you know, scaling products out to millions of users wasn't an everyday thing. So after my studies, that was sort of the first major project I worked on. Yeah. Then after that, I was fortunate enough to co-found a startup that we received some seed funding to do which was, again, a mobile service. And in that case, it was designing a digital marketplace for tradesmen to market their services within their local neighborhood or local digital neighborhood. Uh, sort of, it was a Twitter for micro ads in some sense. You could think of it that way. That was really interesting. I think your first startup happens at a blink of an eye, but that was really a really great experience to take a new product to market and to learn about all the nuances of an early stage business. And then after that, I did a lot of freelancing and consulting on quite a lot of new product developments. So I wouldn't quite put it as R&D, but taking new products to market and working with teams and product owners who want to take new features and new products to market. 
so that's kind of really over the last 10 years really been the the focus of what I've been doing is really mobile and and new product development. Awesome. So in the last decade you've been doing some really exciting work. Perhaps you could tell me more about some of the projects that have been particularly exciting for you to work on and then also lead into a discussion about what it's been like working in Berlin for the last year or so as opposed to say Cape Town in the previous few years. Yeah, sure. I've worked on quite a few interesting projects, but probably the most interesting in the last while was I started working in the digital finance space, in particular a digital finance product that was running in uh, Zambia, Mozambique, and Malawi. It was a mobile-based service that essentially started as a, a money transfer service where a person in a sort of a rural part of Zambia could go up to a kiosk deposit cash and then that money would then be sent to um, a family member or a, a business connection in another part of the country or in a or in another country so that was yeah that was sort of my first digital finance project that I worked on but I really enjoyed that time it was about yeah, I worked on it for about a year and a half to two years and I was fortunate enough to be able to work on a mobile wallet project and to design that from scratch, which was really, really cool. So it extended their money transfer service to enable um, users to be able to store money digitally on their account. And what was great about that, like I said, was I managed to be part of the team who designed the product from scratch, but also it was challenging in that the digital service wasn't just aimed at a particular type of mobile phone like a smartphone it had to work on all types of uh, mobile phones including older feature phones that was a challenge because i had to adapt it for an older mobile technology called ussd if you remember on older phones the sort of very rudimentary sort of numerical menus that you used to engage with when you dialed a uh, what's called a short code so they're sort of star 111 hash type of code so yeah so that was that was really interesting so working in an, a, another country like i said in zambia um, malawi and mozambique but then also working on services that i had to adapt across to work on different types of mobile phones so yeah so that was that was really interesting and also understanding the digital finance ecosystem the product had to also be compatible or work together with their some of their other newer products that they were designing, like a microloans product and things like that. So these sort of complementary services that had to connect to each other and stuff like that. So yeah, it was a, a really interesting time designing a, I wouldn't say a, a complex customer experience, but certainly a customer experience that had some complex elements to it. Like I said, it had to work across different types of devices. It included a a human interface at a kiosk and a digital interface plus yeah it was i was designing for an ecosystem that i was quite unfamiliar with so yeah it was a it was an interesting project and then if i had to transition to to my time here in berlin 
my wife and I moved here. We'd been talking about moving to a, a new country for a while, just as a sort of a life experience. I'd lived and worked in the UK for about six months. But besides that, I had traveled quite a lot and worked in other countries, but I'd never lived for long periods of time in another country. And we decided that at the end of 2018 was a really good time to do that. Yeah, so 2018 was really a transitional phase where I started taking less contracts to give myself some time to look for work in Berlin. So I managed to secure a job at the end of 2018. And once I'd locked down the job, it all kind of happened quite fast. And I, I moved over shortly after that in November of 2018. And uh, my wife came over in December of that year. And I got a job working for a startup here in Berlin. And it's a startup that works in the, the academic conference space. And they provided a, a range of digital services to support the academic conference space. Obviously, moving countries, there are quite a lot of new things to get used to. But for the most part, the startup I worked for had a very diverse international team. Yeah, it, it was a reasonably smooth transition. Berlin is quite easy to navigate, even if you can't speak German. And English was the language of business at the startup. So, um, yeah, it was actually quite a smooth transition and I, I felt quite comfortable and welcome in the team. I think in terms of transitions to a new working environment, it was quite smooth and I've enjoyed it thus far. Great. Well, it certainly must have been to your advantage to have worked in a number of different countries on different projects so your work experience covers so many different uh, sort of phases of product design. You work on user research, concept development, information architecture, interaction design. So there's a lot of different areas of focus for you. I know you're quite into visual design, the UX side of things. So in terms of all those different areas of focus and working with many different researchers and designers, developers, data analysts all over the world. If you were to summarize an area of your work that you're really passionate about, what would that be? Yeah. Um, right now, certainly the area that I'm most interested in is the prototyping side. So that would be where you've got an initial concept and you want to create sort of an immersive prototype that your team members can try out. So it, it can help communicate a concept or an idea, but also where you can get other people, external users to try out. I think prototyping is an area that I'm, it's probably my favorite part of the design cycle. It's the part I enjoy the most. And the reason why, particularly, well, I would say, I can say having fun at the moment is the range of tools that are available now just make it so easy to rapidly prototype. There's a movement that I've been keeping my eye on for the last six months or so. It's called the no-code movement. So no-code really is the evolution of the tools where you can quickly create, a, for example, a website without having to write code. So a very simple example would be products like WordPress, Squarespace, Blogger, those kinds of things where you can use um, a visual user interface and create a, a website for yourself. So if, if you think back to the mid-90s, to create a website, you'd have to know how to write some HTML, basic HTML code to be able to get a website live. And then sort of in the 
sort of early 2000s, there were products coming out that would allow you to design and publish a website without having to code. But what's interesting in the last year or two is there's been a, a massive shift in gear in terms of the number of tools that are available. So for example, now you can create your own basic Android app that serves multimedia without knowing how to code. There's some really nice online tools for that. There's a tool that I actually used at the end of last year. The product's called Webflow, right? So Webflow I used recently to create a new website for my client or for the company that I was freelancing for. What was interesting about that is they have a visual interface for designing and creating and publishing a website. But what makes it interesting is that the content management system that underpins this Webflow is really, really powerful and really easy to use. But what it allows you to do is it allows you to sort of link or connect parts of the website to this content management system in a more flexible way than you could with products like WordPress, for example, and in a more powerful way than with products like Squarespace. So it takes sort of the best pieces of all those online web publishing tools and just it makes a cleaner, more powerful tool. And what's interesting, it also encourages a designer to think more like, like a web developer. So it's just super, super powerful. And probably the next iteration of that is a product called Bubble. So Bubble is an online tool where you can actually build what's called a web app. So you can, instead of just creating static web pages that connect to a powerful content management system, you can start visually designing web apps that have logic built into them. So you can start defining business rules and stuff like that. And then probably the, the next or the additional piece of that puzzle is there are loads of independent services now. So for example, there are online services that provide a payment interface or a profile service that you can then, without having to know how to code, connect to your Webflow website, for example. So this interoperability between services is now becoming possible without having to code. And I think that becomes super, super powerful. So for example, you take a product like Stripe, which is a service that provides a really robust, powerful payment service that you can connect to your website that's designed in Webflow, which is a really powerful front-end web design tool where you can do really advanced interaction design and connect it to a CMS all without having to code. And there are, other, there are other services, for example, where you can host videos behind a paywall, creating subscription services, all without having to be able to code. And all of these services can interoperate really cleanly. It's absolutely phenomenal. I don't think... I mean, I know I say this every year, but it, it really is the best time to be an interaction and UX designer now because the number of tools that are available to quickly create prototypes and even quickly create working, deployable web services and websites, we've never lived in a time like now. And I think maybe just to summarize, the reason why this is such a fundamental game-changing time is that over the last sort of five to 10 years, designers, uh, UX designers or interaction designers, they've had to hand over a lot of their designs to a software team to build it for them, which requires a lot of communication, a lot of documentation, 
and it requires teams to really synchronize you know development teams then have to synchronize with design teams and that's that's challenging because if i think about for example the microfinance product i worked on a design teams design cycles are not necessarily in sync with the development teams cycle so the things the development team want to work on first or what they want to work on now might not be the things that a design team has available or things that are ready so for example i might be doing some field research and the particular feature they want to build is not ready yet so the way that would have to work in the past was i would have to then negotiate with my product manager saying you know that stuff that the devs want to build it's not ready and there'd be a lot of negotiation and trade-offs and a lot of basically complex communication where now we're heading towards a phase where design teams can actually build the front ends themselves they can start to almost we might describe it as decoupling from a development team for a lot of the front end products and they'll be able to change them and modify them when they want to rather than having to sort of lodge a request or a what you might call a development ticket with the dev team it just simplifies things so much i mean it the next 5 years are going to be there's going to be a massive massive shake up in how digital teams work and it's going to be fantastic i mean i've been waiting for this for 10 years <laughs> so it's yeah the whole no coding movement is certainly something to keep an eye on if anyone out there's interested in digital products and ux not just from a prototyping point of view but also from a deployable real front ends and real services point of view and especially for startups especially if you're working in the new product development space these tools are they look fantastic i unfortunately haven't deployed a service using a product like bubble yet but it certainly looks like it's moving in the right direction and the tools look reasonably intuitive given the complexity of it and the ways that you define logic within the app seems really good so yeah it's a really good time and I think that's why prototyping and the actual building of things that people can interact and test and do that very rapidly is certainly one of your most powerful tools in a design process because getting feedback from real customers as quick as possible has always been the route to creating great products and great experiences. And the quicker you can do that, the quicker you can can home in on the on the best design and it's essentially i mean what we've been trying to do for the last 15 years i think we just now have better and better tools so we can move faster and faster because you know markets are changing quite a lot and also designers are designing for international markets and environments where they they don't know and don't have a lot of necessarily on the ground experience so being able to build prototypes quickly and get feedback fast is changing that and making it a lot easier to build good products great well yeah thanks for joining me today andrew for the folks out there you can get in contact with andrew at his website theplatformstudio.com he's currently in berlin so if you're in the area why don't connect with him go for a drink shoot the breeze and you never know you might be hanging out with the future CEO of, well, who knows what the company will be, but anything's possible in this lifetime, right? That's correct. I mean, if our friend can be the CEO of Siri, anything is possible. <laughs> great. Thanks a lot again, Andrew. I hope you have a great time there in Berlin, and I look forward to seeing you in the flesh sometime in the future.